All right, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. This morning, uh, it is the first Sunday of Advent, and as we continue in our series through Colossians uh, throughout this month, we're going to look at it through that lens of Advent. Specifically, uh, as we look today, we are continuing with what Paul wrote last week, what he addresses again this week, the mystery of the gospel. The season of Advent is one of mystery, a mystery that revealed itself in longing and expectation and hope and faith. The fullness of the gospel message was, as Paul says, a mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And this morning we're going to look at Colossians 1, 27 through 29, and the hope that comes as the mystery of Christ is revealed to the world. Just imagine the years, centuries, leading up to Christ's coming. The people were walking, following after the Lord, but in a time of longing and expectation. They knew the Messiah was coming, but they didn't know when, and they could not possibly know how. And yet they hoped in the one who was to come. And what we find in the text today is that same hope. The hope that they held to, the hope that they longed for, has come to us. There is hope, hope this season, hope in every season in the person of Jesus Christ, God's Son. And so stand and follow along, verses 27 through 29 in Colossians 1. To them... God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness and thank You for Your grace this morning. Thank you for the hope of this season, just the reminders that are all around us, even in songs that we sang this morning. We praise you and thank you for that, and we ask that you'd help us through your word to find hope if we have lost it, and Lord, to to have even more hope where there is hope. And that that hope would be found securely and only in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, four points that I want to see, want us to see this morning as we work through the text. First is this. We have hope because Christ is with us. Second, we have hope because Christ is in us. Third, we have hope because Christ is for us. And fourth, we have hope because Christ is coming again. First, we have hope because Christ is with us. Verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. How great among the Gentiles, that's us, we're a part of that. This is a mystery revealed. I mentioned last week 
But the Old Testament Jews didn't see this coming. They should have. They could have. The Old Testament is filled with grace extended to outsiders who come to serve the Lord. Just listen to Paul's words in Romans 15. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Now, that's Paul quoting 2 Samuel 22.50. He goes on. And again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. That's him quoting Deuteronomy 32.43. He goes on. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. That's Psalm 117, verse 1. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. That's Isaiah 11, 1. But they didn't see it. And from their perspective, it seemed impossible. And they weren't good at obeying those commands and invitations from the Lord. They were called to be a people who displayed the greatness and goodness of God so that outsiders might come and worship the Lord. Paul writes, most of us know this verse, Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Concerning this mystery, Al Mohler writes this, the Gentiles had been understanding God's way about as correctly as someone using a Ouija board. But out of that darkness, out of that confusion, out of that sinful depravity, out of that backwardness, and out of that ignorance had come the shining light of the gospel, which is a mystery. It is the mystery of all mysteries. Hope for everyone. The hope for everyone is Christ, and He has come to us, and He is with us. That is the message that we rejoice in in Christmas. Matthew 1, verses 21 through 23, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The birth of Jesus is proof that God loves us and that he is with us, that he's come to be with us. We have hope today because Christ, the Son of God, the one that Paul proclaims is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, who created all things and for whom they were created, who's the beginning and whom, in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, who holds everything together and reconciles man to God. He is with us. He came to us. This is a mystery that was hidden by God until it could be publicly revealed in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, in the death of Jesus Christ, in the burial of Jesus Christ, and the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have hope 
We have hope because Christ is with us. Second, we have hope because Christ is in us. Paul writes, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is hope of all hope. There's a weight to this mystery that has been revealed. It's not a small truth. It's not a small thing. Paul's focus here is on how we, God's people, God's new covenant people, are completely identified with our representative that is Christ. And that new identity gives us hope. Christ is in you. And Paul often speaks about how we are in Christ. But the image here is that Christ is in us, and we ought to consider the hope of that glorious truth. What does it mean that Christ is in you? Romans 8, verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. That's a glorious truth. Galatians 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have hope because Christ is in us. Paul is stressing the intimate relationship between Christ and his people and how Christ fully represents us. And it is because he represents us that we have hope. When God the Father looks on us, he sees his Son. He sees Christ. The indwelling of the Lord Jesus Christ is what makes the mystery a miracle. It is a miracle to think that God dwells with us and God dwells in us. You consider the Old Testament, the picture that we see there, and how in the Old Covenant the Israelites would tremble at the presence of God in the temple. Or before that, in the tabernacle. When they saw his presence in the tabernacle or in the temple or on the mountain, they trembled for fear. God dwelt there in the tabernacle and in the temple, but now we are the temple. He dwells in us. That is a glorious truth that gives us hope. We have hope because Christ is in us. Third, we have hope because Christ is for us. He is with us and he is in us and he is for us. Verse 27 again, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For this I toil, struggling. You consider how great this verse is for us. 
as followers of Christ, blessed with the indwelling of Christ, we must toil. We ought to toil and struggle. Paul uses those words, toil and struggling. That word toil is a word that was used for work that left a person so weary it was as if they had been beaten. It denotes labor to exhaustion. Labor to exhaustion. We do that, Paul says. Struggling is even a stronger word. Struggling is actually the word we get our word agony for in English. Toil and struggling. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 9, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. The work of ministry is labor. The work of sanctification is toil and labor. But in that, the hope we have is that Christ is for us. Notice what Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So this is a real toil and a real struggle, but it's grounded in the energy that he provides. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. We are called, we are called to labor and strive, strive and toil and struggle. But we have this hope within us, Christ. And what we find is exactly what Paul is saying here. It is all his energy that he powerfully works within us. Christ is for you. He's for you. When he calls you to toil and labor for him, it's not that you would fail. It's not that you would grow weary. No, he provides the strength and energy you need to complete whatever it is he's called you to do. And ultimately, that is salvation. Jude, verses 24 and 25, now to him, Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Now, I know, I know, I use those verses a lot. I know I include those verses in a lot of sermons, but I don't know how not to. Do we understand how deep and how glorious and how wonderful the truth of those verses are? Because the reality is, if it were up to me, if it was up to my own strength, it was up to my strength of toil and my strength of struggling. I wouldn't make it. I am not good enough. 
I do not have the strength. I do not have the holiness. I do not have the righteousness. I do not have the ability to be what I am required to be to make it to heaven apart from Christ who becomes for me what I need to make it all of the way and works for me and for you. We have a Savior that reigns over all things, who controls everything, who holds all things together, who knows what has happened, what is happening, and what will ever happen. And He is in us, and He is for us. And He desires for you to complete the race and to run with endurance and will strengthen you for it. We have hope. We have hope because Christ is with us. We have hope because Christ is in us. And we have hope because Christ is for us. And fourth, we have hope because Christ is coming again. He's not left us here just to live and die. His promise is to return. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. We have this hope waiting for us, this hope being prepared for us. And Christ in you is evidence that there is much more than this life. That there is an eternal reward greater than anything that we could comprehend. And the greatest gift in all of that is Christ himself. And just as those in the Old Testament waited, we feel that, that longing of advent, of expectation that, that he's coming back, that one is coming. We wait with the hope that Christ is with us. We wait with the hope that Christ is in us. We wait with the hope that Christ is for us. And we wait knowing he's coming again. And Jesus said to the disciples, if I, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. And we learn from the scriptures that that is also be forever. That's the joy of Jude verses 24 and 25. That's the hope of it. That's the goal of it. A place for you, and he will get you there. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you with great joy, to get you all the way there, he is coming back for us. We have a guarantee of this. Christ in us is the guarantee of our inheritance, the hope of salvation and glory forever. 1 Thessalonians verse, chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always 
be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and I'm the Omega. Who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed and we'll be with him. We have hope, abounding hope because Jesus is with us because Jesus is in us, because Jesus is for us, and because Jesus is coming back again. And so what do we do with this kind of good news? We ought to respond like Paul. We ought to look at this and say, this is really, really good news. This is news that ought to be proclaimed. This is news that ought to be announced, and that's what we see with Paul and those with him. Verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's what he's doing. That's what he's toiling and struggling to accomplish. We proclaim him. Paul's goal is to present present Christ fully, And to see followers of Christ become mature. His desire and joy is to present to Christ those who have reached their their full maturity on earth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writes, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you for you are our glory and joy, he says. First Thessalonians 5, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How does he do this? How does he struggle and toil toward maturity in believers? Through the proclamation of the gospel. In two ways, it says, warning and teaching. Proclamation of the word of God. When he, when he says that he spent time warning everyone, it, it means that he corrected. He admonished them. It's a warning to those who follow Christ that they would not be tempted to be led astray or to to go astray, to give up, to an admonishment, to keep going, keep going, keep going. First Thessalonians 5.14, he writes, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. 
He desires to see them mature, to not, to not grow weary, to not be led astray. That's the, that's the purpose of the letter to the Colossians. To protect them from the false teaching that's coming their way. To admonish them and urge them to continue, to continue after Christ. Teaching is a, is a more positive form of proclamation. Communicating the gospel, proclaiming, announcing the gospel and Christian truth, teaching doctrine. And he does all of this, he says, in wisdom, with all wisdom, with all understanding. His desire is to see them mature, to understand the gospels and its implications for life. We may be able to articulate the gospel. What, what does it imply? What does it mean for how I live? That's maturity. This Advent season, I pray that we would be a people who find hope in Christ who is with us and who is in us and who is for us and who's coming again and that we would respond in joy and hope we, we are a people who are human. And in our humanness, we can be distracted easily. We can lose joy for meaningless things or because of meaningless things. We can have our eyes off focus through a season that is all about Christ. We, we can be people who come in with the body of Christ and sing songs about the hope we have in Him and we're so used to the lyrics or we're so used to the tune that there's nothing joyful coming out of us. Let's be a people who are aware that Christ is with us and Christ is in us and Christ is for us and let's respond in hope and enjoy with a desire to see others maturing in Christ. We're going to move into a time where we take the Lord's Supper. It's something we do every week, and it's another one of those things that if we are not cautious and if we're not purposeful, it can just be something we go through the motions doing. We don't want to do that. And as we consider Advent, I'm going to ask Andrew to play a song as the bread and cup are passed out. There's, a, there's an old uh, hymn, Christmas hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. The lyrics are going to be on the screen. I want to encourage you to pray through those. As you hold your bread, hold the cup, pray through those lyrics as we prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper. We wait. We're a people in waiting we wait for him to come back for us, but we have hope because Christ is in us. And we have hope in this moment of communion that he is with us and in us in this moment of taking the Lord's Supper. In fact, Paul describes it that way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, Speaking of the Lord's Supper, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? 
the bread that we break? Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Is it not a real and genuine participation with him, a fellowship with Christ? In taking the bread and taking the cup, he comes to us and he is with us in this time as we remember him, as we remember his body broken for us and we remember his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so as we prepare our hearts and we pray through the lyrics, let us know that he is, that he is with us, he is in us, and he is for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your word. Your word, Lord, is truth. Your word is truth. We praise you for that. We pray that you'd help us in this time. We're grateful for Jesus. We're grateful, Christ, that you have come to this earth, Emmanuel, God with us. And that you gave your life, you died, you were buried, you were raised from the dead. So that whoever believes in you will be saved, forgiven. And that you come and dwell in us. And that Lord, as great as these truths are, we also know that you are for us. You're interceding on our behalf and you are working on our behalf, strengthening us for the task. And you're able to keep us from stumbling and to present us with great joy to your Father. We praise you for these things. We ask you to help us as we hold the bread and the cup to remember and to worship you. In Christ's name, amen.